0: I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Well, well, I hope we can get to that point. Uh, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas, which is Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. And then he asks very specific questions. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Look at someone and say, in my name. And he goes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus beyond that. I don't remember if I baptized anyone else for Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the, what the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence or the cross of Christ would be emptied of its power for the message that we're bringing this idea. He loves us. Oh, he's jealous for us. He died for us. This message of the cross is foolishness to people who are dying, but to those who are being saved, it is the very power of God for it's written. I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. And then he asked, where's the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this this age? Hasn't God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom didn't know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. Because Jews demand power and signs. And the Greeks are looking for wisdom. But what I preach is Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. Amen. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Then he gales in on them, brothers and sisters. Think of what you were when you were called some of you all, but not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and he chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you're in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boasts in the Lord. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gift of your church and what it is you've established in the earth, God. And Father, I pray right now you would help us get a bigger vision of what it is we're doing here. Teach us what unites us and what divides us. Let us gather around the cross of Jesus Christ today. We bless you, Lord and Savior of of humanity. Jesus, you are you are awesome, and we praise you today. Teach us by your Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray. Let the church say, "Amen." You can have a seat in the presence of the Lord. Well, my message, uh, my message today. If I were to give it a title, uh, and if you're taking notes, it's this: it's three keys to blowing up a church. Is it too soon? Just tell me if it's too soon to talk about this. Three keys to blowing up. I'm going to put some deadly ammunition in your hands today. Three keys to blowing up a church. See, when you have multiple kids, you realize that some of them uh, learn by telling them something positive and some of them learn by telling them something negative. Okay, I'm Okay. And once again, I'm out here by myself talking, you know, Armani, if you do that, here's what's going to you, you, I mean, sometimes you have to give them the full illustration and I think Paul does this, but I want to frame it up before I jump into this and give you the bigger picture. The thing that holds the church together since its inception is Christ and him crucified. Write that down. If you're taking notes, Christ and him crucified in this One block of scripture we've just read, you'll hear about the cross or crucified or Christ crucified over five times. It's the main point that he wants us to know that Christ as the crucified one is always the one holding this thing that we're doing together. You want to always find you you don't even need to hear the rest of this if you just get this one point. Whenever the, the reason there are disagreements and disunity and drama is because we all haven't got a clear picture of Christ and him crucified in any church. But if you were going to blow it up and, rem, and stop looking at Christ and him crucified, and you wanted a couple points to blow it up and mess up everything and really ruin a good thing that we got going. Well, here's the first thing that Paul says you do. You make Human, number one, you make human personalities into idols. You make human personalities into idols. Verse 12 I belong to Paul, and I belong to Apollos, and I belong to. Cephas or Peter. And I, you know, not me. I don't belong to any of them. I'm actually with the Lord. Isn't that this is how some of us see when you really think about it, Paul, when you stand up and you say, I belong to Paul, you're saying I was there when the church started. I have a seat, you know, I sit in the second row. I know it's at a movie theater, but that's my seat. I've been here. I was with Thaddeus when they left. Oh yeah. You're Kendall. You're new here. You came a couple months later. But we were here at the inception. I was with Paul. I'm talking to some of the saints here. You find great pride in that position of always being faithful. But then someone else comes along and they say, well, I'm not of Paul. I am of Apollos. And where you can read about it later in that in uh, later on in Acts, Acts chapter 18, I believe Apollos, he, he was from Alexandria and, and where, where that was the, there was eloquence of speech and the Bible declares about Apollos. They said he was powerful in word and in speech. This guy could rile up a crowd. It didn't matter where he went. Even when his doctrine was a little bit off, people still got excited. Why? Who, who's coming to preach today? I am of the great speaker, Apollos. You know, I, 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 I subscribe to Bishop T.D. Jakes, and I, I, I'm, I'm following this one, and I'm following. We all have those people that are great speakers. I follow Paul. No, I follow Apollos. Well, not me. I follow Peter. You know, one of Jesus's big three. Doctrine is real important to me. I'm very spiritual minded. I'm with, I'm with the originators of the whole movement. I'm something beyond you. Do you realize how much we start gravitating towards personalities? Do you realize how easy it is to make a personality into an idol into our lives? And we can tell that in Corinth, some of it might have been connected to the person who baptized them or how they came in the church. I don't know. You know, when we came out of paganism or Judaism, all of these, we always function like that. I I am with Greg. I'm with Bill. I'm with Pastor Thad. I'm with the worship team. We love building up these personalities. And the way you answer that The way Paul answered that is by asking a simple question. Was I crucified for you? See, that's how you destroy all the disunity over. I I, I hope this thing just builds and God does an amazing thing, but I will always say to you, don't look at me. Was I baptized for any of y'all? I wouldn't die for none of y'all except for you, Joe. Except for you. Caleb's out. Sorry, bro. I'd be like, throw me your wallet. Come on, man. No, no preacher, no personality, no singer, no worship leader will ever die for you. Jesus is the king. He says, who, who were you baptized? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? See, this was an accounting term. In the first century, were you baptized? It would be the action of placing something inside of your column. It was a term of ownership. Were you baptized into the name of Paul? Do I now own you? See, because when you're baptized into the name of something, you belong to the person in whose name you've been baptized in. That's why that is the significance of our Christian baptism because when you're not just outwardly expressing this change that has happened, you are now declaring to the world, I was bought at a very expensive price and no longer am I my own. That's a very hard, even when we sing these songs, more than anything, I don't know how true that is at all. You know what I'm saying? I mean, really? 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 You love Jesus more than anything? Really? Come on. All right, all right. I'm just, I'm yelling at you. I'm sorry. Maybe that's me. I mean, I think that's how, whenever I'm singing those songs, I think I'm like, I, I'm trying. I'm, can, can I just be honest with the saints? Love you more than anything. I, I'm trying, right? But the Bible says that you were bought at a price. Your life. It's not your own. Touch someone and say, it's not your own. See, you, were, you, were, you weren't baptized into the name of Paul or Thaddeus or this or that. that. You were baptized into Christ. And he's trying to warn us that it's very easy to build an idolatrous regard towards people. Towards ministers, towards whoever, in whatever position they, they are in, I think of people like, uh, T.D. Jakes. And he moved off into this sort of oneness Pentecostalism, which was away from the orthodox teaching of the church and the Trinity, and many people followed. And I'm not saying he hasn't done a tremendous thing, but I'm just talking about one specific piece of doctrine. And people started questioning, and that's very good. or, or Carlton Pearson, the list can go on. You, you see what I'm saying? A prominent minister decides there is no hell, because the God that I think of wouldn't do something like that. A universalist. See, what I'm saying is that the Acts tells us that the people of Berea were more noble than the people in Thessalonica. Because when they heard the word, they accepted it with great eagerness. Then they went home to check the scriptures to see if what they said was true. Don't take, okay, I'm still preaching to myself. Don't you take a message I preach and just start preaching it. You go home, you study it, you think through it, get you some commentaries. If you think there's something out of line, you need to come and talk to me about it. See, that's how we stay healthy as a community. Not winging it, taking it, spoon fed. No, I, 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 want, I want to dissect it. What do you say? Is that true? Noble. That's the, the, the Bible describes that as having a kingly characteristic. When you don't just accept it, but you go home and you study and you find out for yourself. If you want to ch- ruin a church, make an idol out of human personalities. Second way you can ruin a church, blow up a church, is you can market your message to fit human expectations. You could take your message and make it palatable for whoever comes around. See, if you catch the flow of Paul's argument, you're placing all of this emphasis on human personality, and if you're not careful... The ministers will begin to tailor their message to what people want to hear. Well, well, you guys don't want to hear. You guys don't really want to read the word today. So we'll just go into something different. Why don't we just watch a movie real quick? Now, I'm not saying that movie was bad. I'm just saying in general. What do you want? What do you want today? What do you want? What movies are playing next door, Caleb? Straight out of Compton, what are we going to go see? Just whatever you want, because I because re- what's more important than you getting the word is you being happy and just feeling like that's that's fine. And the stuff about sin will leave that alone. And we keep singing these songs, but for Paul, the word of the cross was not a message that anybody wanted to hear. They didn't want to hear about this cross. Because the cross is not what anybody in that culture thought God should have been doing. And it doesn't solve, for them, it did not solve their greatest needs. You might come in here and think the cross doesn't solve your greatest needs. I don't know. But in their culture, this word of the cross that Jesus of Nazareth died a horrific criminal death by crucifixion on a Roman cross is the only one that you can truly go through and know God and you can be rescued from your sins. That's the word of the cross. And Paul says that the Jews to the Jewish person, this was scandalous. Why was it scandalous? Why is this message so scandalous? It sounds great to us. We love the cross. It sounds great. But he says Jews demand a sign and Greeks are looking for wisdom. See, Jews were always looking for a sign because uh, if you think about it, their whole history was about God acting out in power. These outbursts, you know, and and their scriptures, their holy scripture said, cursed is anyone that's hung on a cross. See, Paul references this in Galatians because he's talking about the scandal of it. Either you keep the law and our savior is eternally cursed or God has done something radically different in Jesus Christ. It was scandalous. If you grew up, uh, the dividing of the sea, oh, the manna in the desert, the whirlwind of Elijah, the healing of Naaman in the waters and the dry bones coming to life. That's the type of God we serve. David versus Goliath miraculously throwing the stone and boom, he killed. That's the guy he's got. If God comes back as the Messiah church, it's going to be powerful. It's going to be powerful. The Jews will walk around. We can't wait for the Messiah because when God acts, he moves in power and reconciliation and he'll deliver. And who's this guy hanging on a tree? That's not God. That's too weak. He's ha- He's. He, he wasn't going to do it like that. See, when I was a kid, there was only one name you needed to know in the boxing world. She just said Muhammad Ali. <laughs> Some truth to that. But that's like, well, who, who, uh, I, I don't <laughs> See, you had to get through it. She just thought I was older than I was. That's what happened right there. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. I can't win. Mike Tyson, you know, and when, when we were, when we were kids, we would make this bet. We would say, man, what, what, how much money would they have to pay you to get into the ring with Mike Tyson? And you would say, oh man, like a million, you know, a million, I would do it. I would do it. But you know, there was always a risk that if he hit you one time, you would die. That's what you thought. You, if I, if he hit me one time I could die, but it'd be worth it for a million. That would be my price to risk uh, death. You know, they even made the punch out game. It was a Nintendo game. And when you made it finally to fight Mike Tyson in the final round, if you got hit one time, you were done, you know, some people know what I'm talking about. If you were right there in that, that window. But then there was a fight I was watching versus Buster Douglas. And he got he he got beat. And my brain did not know how to compute this. Like, well something happened. Something went wrong. You just started questioning. Well, how in the world did this happen? Because this guy, one punch could kill a man. And I got beat by a guy named Buster. You couldn't even you just, I just don't want to talk right. I don't, I couldn't, I couldn't even think what happened. See, but a Jewish person would have had that same cognitive dissonance. I can't Christ. The Messiah crucified is a contradiction in terms. Christ is the name. It's the term for Messiah. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, God's appointed coming, reigning king in power does not fit with crucifixion. This is scandalous. This is utter nonsense. It's foolish. Paul, stop your preaching because this is just nonsense. Look at someone say it's just nonsense. See, now, Paul doesn't leave him on the cross there. He assumes the resurrection. We'll get into that later on in chapter 15, but... Think of Christ, who has been crucified already. Now listen, I want everybody to hear what I'm going to say right now. He's already been crucified, and he remains in that character, even as he is risen at the right hand of the Father. He has marks in his hands and a hole in his side for all Eternity. The only bodily reminder that we will have of the pain in this life, in the world to come, are laying on our Savior. Forever, we will know that the only way to get through God is through a crucified Jew. If you you can go down thousands, ten thousands, a hundred thousand years off into eternity, you will still see the marks in his hands of our sinfulness and the weight that was on him. And a Jewish person says, forever I will see you crucified. That's not the character of the God that I know. That's too weak. Look at someone and say, it's too weak. And then the Greek person comes along and say, you know, it's just not wise enough. Because for for the Greek, wisdom was the coherence, what's reasonable, what would elevate our thoughts and our minds and our rhetoric and our wisdom. And and there was an idea in early Greek thought that God was something other, that he was beyond them. He was out, you know, and a true God was a type of God that had no feeling whatsoever. He's outside of this. Uh, a guy named Plutarch said God had to be utterly remote and removed from the action of people. He's other. The Gnostic God is He's free from this sinfulness of this matter that we live in. But Paul begins to preach about a God who became flesh and enters into humanity. Scandalous. F- foolishness. The Son of God came into the world. Like us to save us? Foolish, foolishness. The Jew would say, This is scandalous. And the Greek would say, this is foolishness. And the Jew would say, no, there's no power in a cross. And the Greek would say, there's no wisdom in that. The Jew says, that is so weak. And the Greek said, that's just madness. And the Jew says, there's no power in that. And the Greek says, there's no class in that. This just does not fit my expectations of what I thought God would be. See, the essence of idolatry is this. Whenever we think God is not doing things the way we think he ought to do it. See, and what we end up with is not God as he is, but our own conception that we've made him out to be. How many people, when we're worshiping, I want to worship God as he really is in and of himself and not the idea of God that I've made him to be. You can't worship him without the spirit and the truthfulness of who he is. See, this is our culture. And if we're not careful, we will fall right into this trap because we are seeking a God as the way we want him to be. I can't imagine. See, this is where we really church. This is how you can fall off into some weird doctrines. Well, I don't believe a God would send people to hell. I don't want him to, I don't, I hope, I don't know. But I need to approach him as he is not how I want him to be. Jews demand a sign. Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So if you want to ruin your church, Buy into human personalities. Pick a message that that really fits the expectations of people exactly what they want. And then the last way to ruin a church is this. You have to insist on receiving only the finest people in your congregation. That has to be the goal. Only the finest. See... If you think that this message, that you can only know God through a crucified Messiah or crucified Jew, and you can only be rescued from eternal death through him, I want you all to watch the next point. If you think the message is foolish, wait till you look at the congregation. Let me say that again. If you think the message is crazy. Wait until you look at the people in this church. Look at someone and say, he's talking about you. See, Paul says, this is, what it, this is not me. Don't look at me. This is the scripture. Paul is writing to the church and he says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Some of you all were big stuff. You know, there was a synagogue ruler in Corinth. We know that a couple high, but he says, not many say, not many of you were wise by human standards. He's talking to the people of the church. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But listen, but God chose. Say that God chose. The foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before him. See, when we think of God, we think God would have walked in and got the top recruits. What college did you go to? What's your pedigree? How much money do you make? But God goes in. He gets foolish. Weak, despised, nobodies, ain't never been nothing, can't do, struggled through. Okay, you know what? This is how God does it, not us. There's some high class, there's some noble birth folk, but Paul says, not many. He says, this is not the typical way of God. So, right when you're sitting next to somebody, you say, they are so messed up. Just know that God chose them. Celsus, commenting in the first century, second century on the church, he says this. He said, you have a bunch of scum. Far from us, say the Christians, be any man possessed of any culture or wisdom or judgment. Their aim is to convince only worthless and contemptible people. Idiots, slaves, poor women and children are the only ones they manage to turn into believers. That's commentary of the church in the second century. All these poor. What happened to the wisdom of the Greeks? What happened to the power of Rome? But what happened to the church of God? God chose them. And when God is in something and moving in something, nothing can stop it. See, that's God's pattern. Three times it says God chose them. God chose them. God chose them. Why? So that no one can stand up and say, hey, because of my great influence, look at how I've built this church. I'm just looking around at y'all Oof. 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 back at you exactly. You got that first point down. Not many of y'all have a seven figure salary. And not many of you all have the last name of Rockefeller or Gates, or Kennedy's, or maybe you just don't have the right pedigree. And not many of you all have your problems figured out. Just messed up. But God chose you. God chose you. He chose you in your foolishness and in your weakness and in your being despised by the world and your being held down. And he chose you in each of those categories I, because at some point he wants you to rise up and do a mighty work for him. And, and no one will say, look what you did. They'll say only God. You won't be able to boast in anything else but God. Human personalities, human expectations, and picking people of the right pedigree. Those are some ways you can blow up a church. But the way we keep this thing unified is very simple. We all come here to gather around a tree and see Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified for our sins. And it's only through him do we have a relationship with our father. You wanna stay unified, keep gathering around the tree. Stand with me, church. We must always preach Christ and him crucified. It's a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, has God called you today? Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God for his foolishness is wiser than our wisdom and his weakness is stronger than our strength. And it is because we are in Christ Jesus who has become the wisdom of of God. He has become your righteousness, your holiness, and redemption. How many people realize that today? Let's gather one moment around that tree and thank him. Jesus, we've gathered here and we remember the cross, the wisdom of God, and by it we find our redemption and our salvation. Jesus, help us never get to a place where it's about us and about personalities, God, and about these other issues and concerns, God, and let us not fashion you into the God we want you to be, God, but Lord, help us to see you as you truly are, our crucified and now risen Lord, Jesus Christ, and let that reality constantly keep us together for your glory and for your name's sake, God, let this be a church where we boast only in you, God. We bless you today, God. Bless your people and keep them and make your face shine upon them. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Let the church say amen. God bless you.